Hello, and welcome to Community Voice. This is Thomas Lynn, COO of Console Your Community. Console Your Community brings together students at top universities across America and small businesses in their communities to work together, solve problems, and find inspiration through one another. In our current economic environment, you know, just, just emerging from a financial crisis uh, with workers facing pretty substantial headwinds from you know, technological advances, automation, and, and also increased global competition, I think that companies have become a place of fear for their employees. There's a lot of insecurity for the American worker right now. But I think that something which is even more debilitating about that insecurity is the specter of the future generation's demise. You can't help but think that if things are this bad for me, what chance does you know, my son or daughter have? I think that we used to meet that challenge. This was the place where you may not be at the top right now, but your kid and their children can definitely get there if they work hard. But we seem to have forgotten how to do that. The machine is stalling, you know, how to make the American dream more than just a dream. Well, today we have an answer from a small business in Connecticut. The company is American Dream Clean. They are a janitorial service company, and the biggest challenge of that industry is traditionally turnover. You have to constantly hire and retrain workers because people leave so often. It's not a career. But JT, the owner, came up with a great idea to kill two birds with one mop, so to say. Reinvest profits into employees' children and their education. And our Wesleyan team helped make this dream into a reality. Enjoy. Why don't, why don't both of you guys just kind of introduce yourselves? So, you know, obviously you go to Wesleyan, but, but you know, name, major, why you're involved in CYC. And then, and then one interesting fact um, about each of you. All right. Um, my name's Jesse Cohen. I'm a senior. Um, double majoring in math and economics. Interesting fact about me is right now I'm finishing up a thesis in economics about geography and knowledge sharing in the music industry. My name is Tiger. Um, well, I've been to CYC for two years now. I'm an econ major and a data analysis minor. I guess an interesting fact about me is that I just went to Puerto Rico for spring break and it was really nice to view. Yeah, that's awesome. I see you'll have to send me that thesis when you're all set. I think rural slash geographic segmentation is economically really important and, and music industry adds, adds another cool aspect to it. Why don't you guys just kind of introduce the business that you worked with? So, you know, what do they do? How were they founded? Who founded them? And any other relevant facts that, that you guys think are good? Yeah, the business we were working with is called American Dream Claim, which is was founded by a guy named J.P. Hernandez, I think five years ago or so. They're a pretty interesting business because they have this sort of two-pronged approach where they're a private company with this public goal. So their company is their janitorial services company. So they hire janitors, they clean buildings, but then the their goal is to lower the achievement gap in education here in Connecticut. So for those not familiar with this, this is an idea that basically just says that People from low-income communities tend to often start at a disadvantage in terms of education from a young age, and then there are a lot of sort of like institutional factors that exacerbate the differences between people's education over time from things like wealthier students often have opportunities to improve their learning in the summer through camp, things like that, just to things like a lot of the 
day-to-day instabilities that can happen in low-income situations. So what this company does, American Dream Clean, is they hire people who are interested in getting help with their children's education. The goal is to send every kid to college of the employees, and then they build up this network, this community of employees who have a decent, steady job now with the company and then have access to all of these tutors, all of these educational services, and this sort of like educational industry knowledge that JP brings as well. So that's sort of the main benefit for the employees. When I was when I was looking over this company a little bit, digging through their website, one of the one of the things that I think really stood out to me is that there's there's a sustainability with employees because right profits are going into you know educate and help develop you know their their children, and that's an extremely direct you know you everyone gets a paycheck. For, through working, but to know that the company that you're working for, who outside of your paycheck, you know, profits are going towards your children, right? That sort of resource development, it seems really powerful. So, so is that that's something that's borne out in, in the results? Do they have really high employee retention in the company? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's very integral to their business model and why this works in particular, like why they have enough profits to put back into their children, into the children's education is because traditionally this is like an extremely high turnover industry. And that's one of the biggest costs to most janitorial firms is that they just constantly have employees coming in and out. So yeah, I think it's a smart business model and that they can sort of mitigate those costs by getting people involved and having this really high employee retention and then put some of that money back into their employees. And is is that something that so let's talk about the macro of this industry a little bit. So they're obviously in in Connecticut, but you know I'm assuming it's kind of a, a regional and or you know the where they're located, and then 50, 60, 100 miles maybe radius across the macro in in this region. You know in that region in this industry, who are key competitors? You know, give walk me through some of the analysis that you guys did to understand kind of the landscape for a janitorial uh, cleaning business in in that region of Connecticut. Who are their customers? Who are their competitors? Yeah, so their customers tend to be people. This was the first project that we did for them was sort of a market research, looking at their customers. This was two years ago now, two and a half years ago, and we tried to find places that were sort of aligned with them in terms of mission. Hospitals, schools, there's a food pantry that uh, became one of their biggest clients recently. So yeah, we really look for those types of companies who have that sort of mission connection. And then in terms of competition, they're competing with traditional janitorial companies, but not really with any other companies that have the same sort of like public goal that they do. Do you guys find that that public mission was a selling point outside of? So it makes sense, right? That you're trying to connect them with organizations uh, to be to be customers, obviously, that have a, a like social mission attached to what they're doing. That obviously jives with what their model is. But, but you know, did you find that this 
was a good selling point to for-profit organizations that didn't have that sort of social mission. It's it's almost like, you know, you can you can have, you know, a clean office and be doing good for the the skills gap in in Connecticut or in in the US. Was that was that like an interesting selling point to for-profits or did you kind of mainly stick to companies with that sort of social responsibility? Yeah, so in the Western chapter, we we the clients that we have are usually have those um, very specific social mission, and that sort of set them apart from the regular for-profit organizations. And it's for us, it's it give us less pressure the way that we want to approach certain things. So, you know, when we're working with like non-profit organizations, you know, the number one thing we want to concentrate is the cost. You know, they're not they're not like operating with a a lot of budget, so everything we do from like helping with market research, you know, collecting data, working with other marketing projects, we try to use our uh, student resource. Besides that market research that they had asked you guys to do, tell me a little bit about, you know, the engagement. What were they looking for you guys to do specifically? And then, and then how did you guys go about fulfilling that? Yeah, so, uh, so one of the biggest projects that we, uh, that we got assigned to was a uh, to create uh, to streamline their hiring process. So what we did was that we create a Google Forms, and that JP, uh, which was the CEO of the company, so that he can just share those data online and then share it with us through Google Drive. And then we at Wesleyan, we have a lot of students who have background in uh, data analytics, so we all have experience with you know analyzing raw data. So what we did was that we we download those data from Google Drive, you know, import them into Excel, and then we use different uh, statistical softwares to help uh, JP found find the best potential, you know, employees. Sorry, if yeah. I can if I can just hit back on one of those points. So, mm-hmm. what were some of the questions that were being asked and some of the data that was being gathered? And I assume you're talking about some sort of regression. So, so were you looking mm-hmm. at, you know, these are the employees that you currently have that are working great and these are the attributes that they would have filled out on these forms. These are the employees that maybe, you know, left or, or didn't have that high retention rate. We kind of want to look at the attributes that they had and, and not select for those. You know, what sort of variables were you regressing for? Kind of jump into that a little bit more specifically. Yeah, well, that's pretty much right on. So if we, I guess, take a sort of higher level view, the issue that JP had was that Every time he would post a job, he would get hundreds of responses. And it's just like a very competitive thing. He was getting a lot of interest, which is great. But he was having a very hard time himself to be doing all of this hiring, also distinguishing between different candidates. So his theory was that he could include as part of the application process a sort of like personality test, almost minded approach of like looking at different asking different questions that might predict like what type of workers he was getting beyond sort of just asking, why are you interested in this job? So he made this whole survey. We worked with him mm-hmm. to refine some of those questions, did some research in terms of this. There's a whole talent analytics field out there. Um, there's some psychology research that's been done on this type of thing. So we worked with him to compile one of these surveys and then what we're analyzing in a regression. So we have with this database, every applicant's survey 
history, as well as questions like how far did they make it in the hiring process? Did they get called back for an interview? Did they pass their background check? Did they get hired? And then eventually, like, did they get fired from the job later? Like, how long did they stay on? Things like this. So the question is, can we predict using a regression? Say, if, we, if we're interested in learning how many people get to a final interview, if we take that as our dependent variable, where like you have a one if you made it to the final interview, a zero otherwise, and then we regress with independent variables the results of all of the survey questions, then the thinking would be we might find that three of the questions are very predictive of an applicant's success or like how long an applicant stays on. What were those, do you guys remember kind of what the key questions were that determined an applicant's success? And then obviously I'm not going to ask you, you know, what was the R squared, but in terms of like statistical significance, you know, what was, how many applicants are we talking about? And then when you guys obviously kind of showed the results, you know, were there a lot of caveats like, oh, well, p-value of this, and I'm 95%, you know, in, in terms of how you brought that up to the client, I'm not sure, you know, their sophistication or his sophistication with statistical methods, but I'm really interested in kind of how you guys translated these sorts of analyses to kind of layman's terms. Yeah. So unfortunately, at this point, we are sort of facing a data limitation where we have survey responses of almost 500 applicants, but JP's actual workforce is pretty small. So he only has, I think, I'm not actually positive, but I think around a dozen Mm -hmm. um, employees right now. So in terms of our regressions, we find a lot of super statistically significant predictors, Mm -hmm. but I think that that's in large part right now just due to the small size of the data. Mm-hmm. To do a little bit of kind of hypothesis testing, what do you guys think the most significant or relevant questions would be? Or, or going into this, what do you think they would be? Yeah, so there were a couple. I think one of the key things is finding the types of questions that have variation in terms of their answers. So there are some questions where we found that like everybody says, I strongly disagree with this. Everyone says, I strongly agree with this. But then, so for example, we have one question on there that we found this for, which was, it was a statement, people who are unprepared don't deserve other people's help. So we found that most people disagreed with that. So they sort of knew what we were looking for. I think that there are some things, like there was another question which was more predictive. So the statement was, successful people should focus on doing their jobs first and improving their skills should be secondary, where we had a little bit more variation in terms of the types of responses. and. In terms of what JP is looking for, he wants people who are invested in the long term, who are interested in improving their skills, putting time into that instead of just merely doing what they're told. So a lot of the questions are kind of geared towards that. And I think that that's something that, especially for people with background in these types of high turnover industries, isn't necessarily completely obvious what he's looking for. How do you guys kind of deal with like the, the Hawthorne effect here? So, so you know, what, what your point was is that, and, and the Hawthorne test, just for people listening, forget what the factory was. I think it was during like the 60s or something, but, you know, researchers go into a, a factory and analyze, you know, worker productivity. And because the workers saw, you know, guys in 
white lab coats, kind of walking around and writing things down on clipboards, I started working a lot harder. So the test showed, oh, it's a highly productive workforce just because of the effect of actually the test, as in the, the subjects were saying, oh, well, uh, they obviously want us to be working harder. They're testing our productivity. So, so here, a little bit of that effect would be people looking at these Google Forms would say, well, here's the answers that uh, you know, America Dream, this is, these are the answers that they would want me to say, whether or not they're true or genuine or not, you know, throw that out. And it seems like you guys ask questions that, you know, wouldn't be something that was kind of a run of the mill for this sort of industry question. They, they you know, take them aback a little bit. But but how did you guys kind of think about that? Obviously, when we uh, when we were creating this survey, our goal was not to uh, trick, try to trick this applicant or trying to force them to answer our questions in a certain way. Our main purpose is, you know, just trying to find the applicants that fit the job the best, uh, not necessarily, you know, trying to, you know, evaluate this applicants as a person or so ultimately if JP, the CEO, is interested in, you know, any potential applicant, I guess he would give a call to the applicant as she had to spend time talk to the uh, each individual. Uh, the survey is just the, the first step of the entire hiring process. I guess that's sort of the way that we want to deal with the authority effect. Outside of the Google Forms and and the human capital acquisition, what were some other things that, that you guys worked on here? So about around like a year ago, Jay uh, wanted to put up a promotional video on his website. And since Wesleyan has a very strong film program, we were able to help him find a student who is really, really talented at making like videos, you know, three or four minute long promotional video that just, you know, sort of introduce his business, let people to know what his business is about and why, you know, it's so great for the, you know, for the society. And, you know, so we were able to budget really well but then also ensure the quality that we are delivered to our client in this like promotional video, like marketing project uh, for JP. So eventually uh, JP really loved it, really loved the video, put the promotional video on the website, on YouTube and got like thousands of views. So that's like another uh, big project that we did for JP. I actually, I took a look at this video and we'll have a link to it on the podcast and, and allow everyone who's, who's going to listen to see it. You guys did a, a really great job on this. Walk me through, I'm assuming you guys didn't have a lot of production and or directing experience, but walk me through kind of how you guys set this up. Where'd you get, you know, I, I, the equipment I assume is from campus, but, but walk me through how you guys kind of put, to, put this together and, and worked on this. Yeah, so I think from our perspective, the big challenge was finding the right person to do the project and then acting as the liaison between that director and Jake to make sure that the director understood his business, what they were going for, and we got a message that worked from sort of like the film narrative perspective as well as just from JP's business goals. So we started out by reaching out to an organization on campus of filmmakers who were interested in taking on projects from outside this university. And we got five or six people who were interested. We interviewed them. We came up with a sort of process to try to figure out who we thought would do the best job. And then once we picked one of them, we set up a couple meetings between us, 
JP and them and try to sort of just act as translator kind of and make sure that the filmmaker understood what was going on, what JP wanted to get out of the project and helped him sort of reach the vision that JP had. I think a lot of our chapters do a great job also leveraging the resources of you know entire university uh, behind them. And, and students have all of this experience at the school and it's kind of untapped, so to say, being used on, on classes. But but in terms of, you know, local small businesses, their community is untapped. I think CYCX is a great liaison between that campus and all of that untapped knowledge and intellect and and the community kind of around, around that. So I, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit of an you know, not an existential, but but a little bit of kind of an existential question. How did you guys think about, and, and expediency aside, how did you guys think about something like recruitment by regression in terms of like using statistics to narrow down candidates? Because obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot of inputs that go into something like recruitment. And I think, you know, for running after which, which you know, Jesse, I know, I know you do, but you have to recruit a lot of people, and you know, in interviews, there's a lot of data and research out there that a 30-minute interview doesn't tell you a lot. So, so obviously, that's not the greatest method. But, but how do you guys think about just purely using statistics and data to narrow down who gets to go to like a first-round interview? Like, you know, is that is that something you think that in the future? many more companies are going to do. I know a lot of companies probably already do that sort of thing. And, and obviously, as as with a lot of regression models, the more and more inputs you have, the more and more your significance, right? Your your R squared is going to go up, but you know it could not make any sense whatsoever in terms of actually bearing out causality. It could just be some sort of like correlation. I want to kind of understand how both of you kind of think about that and, and what you started implementing here more broadly. Yeah, so that's definitely a pretty pertinent sort of existential question of the day, I think, is like, how much can we break down this very human process of getting to know somebody into something that can be represented by data, analyzed with statistics, sort of plugged into this machine learning approach. And yeah, I think that was something that we talked a lot with JP about at the beginning. So the theory would be that we can. There are some questions out there that we can pick, which will standardize the interview process and tell us something meaningful about that person. And so I think a big part of it was making sure that, well, I think one of the great advantages is that we can make sure that JP's not comparing apples to oranges with this. If like every time he interviews someone, he's asking them different questions, then it becomes very difficult I think, to get accurate representations of 200 people and how they're different. I think that this method is good in that way. And a lot of it is just about identifying, coming up with this sort of identification strategy with JP beforehand, where we look at what types of things, like we made a list of what values does he care most about. Mm-hmm. And then part of our research was like, okay, how do we get at those values particularly? through questions, which are the right questions to ask. And this this is very much an ongoing process mm-hmm. in terms of both waiting for us to get more data to analyze, and then periodically the plan is we'll go back and say, like, okay, statistically it looks like these three 
questions are the best, these three are the worst, maybe we cut the worst ones out of the survey, but then like, does that make sense? Does that jive with our ideas of which questions should be most predictive? Mm -hmm. And then there are also a handful of sort of like short response questions yeah. on the survey that don't go into our analysis and maybe we'll do some text-based analysis someday, yeah. but those are more sort of for JP to just like get to know people himself a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of the intangibles. Yeah, no, that makes sense. One of the questions that we always ask at the end of, of every community voice is for both of you guys, and we've touched a little bit on this, what was the most fulfilling aspect or what has been the most fulfilling aspect of this engagement in terms of you know what you've learned, what you've taken out of it? I don't know if either of you are interested in starting a business, but one of the things that you know, immediately kind of came to my mind is is how many companies, even if retention isn't a huge issue, but especially in, in those industries where there's a lot of turnover, how many companies can implement something that is obviously driving social good, you know, lowering the skills gap, but also helping that company succeed and, and sustain itself. So, so yeah, what was kind of the most fulfilling takeaway for, for both of you guys or what has been out of this engagement? Yeah, I guess for me, you know, as you know, as college students, we know a lot of stuff like technology, and um, that uh, our clients don't usually know because since they're most of the time in their like forties, fifties. Yeah. But you know, because we we are living in a digital age, and, you know, we all we know all this you know new technology like you know website builder builders, you know uh, Google Google Drive. You know, we were able to help our clients save a lot of money. With the with the technology knowledge that we know, and uh, you know, it's just a very fulfilling, you know, you know, feeling that we we can, you know, implement those technology into their uh, everyday business operations, and really happy that you know that we can help them not only save a lot of money, but you know, just improve their uh, efficiency in general. Yeah, I think that in a very similar note, one of the things that's been exciting for me about working with this company and the talent analytics project in particular is just realizing how we can sort of bring some of these tools that are traditionally used in big, yeah. like I think the hiring processes of, like we talked to a woman from a hedge fund that her company did something sort of like this. And like I know big consulting firms can do this kind of thing sometimes. But this is not the kind of technology that I think is very obvious for a small business owner. But then for us to be able to go in and use open source software and set this up completely for free for them, I think just sort of marks a cool coming together of, uh, as Tiger said, like our technological knowledge, the goals of this business, and starts a model that can potentially be very scalable, which I think with a business like JP's, which is all about empowering people and building communities, like I know that he wants to keep expanding his company as much as he can. He wants people to take up his model in other industries. So I think sort of creating those scalable, shareable tools is pretty exciting. All of this is 
is free, right? And, and a lot of small business owners, the economy and technology is moving so quickly, can kind of run past them because they're focused on running their company and not on what's going on in tech development or what's what's a new app that I can use for hire. To be able to have you guys step into that breach and and you know provide that pro bono, like that's that's I think evidently what what we do, and that's what this is all about. On the other side of that, this is a business model that I think is broadly scalable in terms of what he's doing to kind of maintain retention and keep employees and, and keep them really invested in their work and what they do. And I think that's that's great. And, and I think you're right. There's a lot of room for other companies to incorporate that sort of model into their their business plan. Tiger and Jesse, it was, it was great talking to both of you. Great job on this engagement and, you know, keep us updated. This, this sounds really exciting. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Thanks, Thomas. The next episode is our final of the year. We will be back next fall with new engagements and new teams. The final episode brings us to where we started, Maryland. Our team worked with Proteus Bicycles and talks about how they turned a bike shop into a social space with potlucks and guacamole. This is how a small business creates community and turns customers into family. It is also a story about how close we are to losing that local touch given that the greater D.C. area is experiencing swift and unrelenting gentrification. This is a good test case for how local small businesses can fight back against that tide. Thanks for listening, and remember that there is nothing small about small business. Thank you for listening to Community Voice. If you wish to support Consult Your Community, then please go to the How You Help tab on our website at consultyourcommunity.com dot org.